Welcome to Fearless Hustle Collective, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs and a home to honest conversations about the ups and downs of running your own business. Hello and welcome back. Today I have a slightly different episode. I'll be chatting to my husband, Adam, um, all about uh, being an introvert, extrovert, or somewhere in between. Hello. Hi. (laughs) How you doing? (laughs) Doing good. How you doing? I'm good. We'd just come back from um, the school drop-off, which was quite nice. We all walked to school this morning, which was nice. I did that the other day as well um, with Rory, and it was really nice to actually just have a walk in the morning because I tend to just hop in the car and then get back home and sit at my desk. Yeah, everything's been a bit of a rush recently as well, so it's nice to take some time out now. Spring's on the way and sun's out. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I feel like it sets the day off nicely. Um, I had a group call in the membership with um, some of the women in the membership yesterday and they one of them mentioned that somebody um, sets their diary by scheduling in all of their personal stuff in first and then the work fits in around that. And I thought that was such a good idea. Yeah, Although like my gut feeling was like, I don't think I could personally do it because I'd end up feeling guilty. And I think there's something about personal time that's <clears throat> probably quite nice to just have without it being scheduled as well. I don't know how I feel about it. I know obviously it's good to have times in the day where you're going to do your personal stuff, but then almost like the fact that it's been scheduled, you sort of look at your watch <laughs> thinking... Oh, at two o'clock, I've got to stop personal time now and go back to work. Sort of thing. I I know what you mean, but I think it, what it means is like stuff like if you wanted to do I don't know yoga or go for a run or stuff like that that perhaps is better to like have it in your diary so that you know it's it's okay to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I I mean when I schedule it in, I am more likely to do it, and I've been using time blocking for a little while with my pretty little spreadsheet and I actually really enjoy it but I still feel guilty for taking the time out during the day which is silly I think it's a mindset mindset shift that needs to happen yeah I'm quite I feel absolutely fine (laughs) (laughs) about taking personal time I don't have any problem at all with that it's just me then (laughs) just me no I definitely don't ever feel the guilt so I wanted to talk to you we had a kind of discussion in the car not too long ago about um whether or not you're an introvert and well I think it stemmed from the fact that somebody once asked me whether I was an introvert or an extrovert and I said that I didn't know and that it depended on who I was with and I know it sounds a bit silly but it, it does because I feel like I'm quite extroverted when we're in a group of friends and at home well that, that in itself is interesting so I think the definitions and stuff get a little bit skewed so obviously it's believed that about a third of people are introverts, a third are extroverts and a third are something they call ambiverts which is kind of a bit of both so nobody's exclusively one thing or the other Yeah. but the definition of an introvert itself is the fact that you are more comfortable around people you know and around sort of situations that you're familiar with so it doesn't necessarily mean that you're I think people think sometimes it means that you're not capable of being sort of bubbly and outspoken or or kind of the life of the party but it's not that it's more the sort of situation that you're in so 
you can feel extroverted I guess in a familiar surrounding mm. but that doesn't necessarily mean you're an extrovert well yeah this is the thing I think when I kind of started <clears throat> thinking about it more after they asked me I kind of realized that actually it's not as linear as that and it's not as straightforward as one or the other I think it's kind of it's like being on the spectrum in a sense of you know yeah you're somewhere definitely. kind of in between yeah um but I'd probably class myself I'd as I was waiting for you actually to arrive, I did some <laughs> introvert slash extrovert test. And it said that I'm more introverted. Yeah. Um, but the questions were rubbish, so I don't think it was. <laughs> the problem with those is sometimes we, sometimes you have these like, psychology tests and you know what they're looking for. And if you're quite sort of smart without blowing your own trumpet, you, if you wanted to, you could completely throw the test. Yeah, because you know what's expected. Yeah, exactly. And you tend to kind of be drawn to certain answers because you already have a self sort of perception of what you are. So you'll tend to answer the questions in a way that will give you the result that you think you should have. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I told you about this. Um, I did this exercise, which is uh, called something about your inner mentor. It's like a visualization and a part of me... I mean, I did it, and it was it was really good to do, but I think a part of me was kind of not letting go, and I was like, I had preconceptions in my mind of what I wanted it to look like. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm not 100% sure that it was, like, fully legitimate, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think things like that are difficult to do. It's the same with sort of meditation stuff I know quite a few people who use meditation as kind of a way to relax or to focus their energy on a task that they've got to do or to sort of get sort of a clearer idea of where they want to go or a decision they want to make but for me I spend too much time in my own head thinking this is meditation I need to (laughs) clear my head and I just think all the time and there's thoughts going on and you have a pre-conceived idea of what you should be doing and yeah yeah, but you haven't actually, we've talked about this before, but you haven't actually tried meditation properly. Because <laughs> I had the Headspace app and I was using it over time and they talk you through it. And actually one of the things they say is that like <clears throat> it's okay if the thoughts are coming in and out and you're thinking about stuff. It's about learning to notice the thoughts and then let them kind of go and then, you know, try and bring your focus back to just that you know yeah well i'll tell you what this is gonna sound mean <laughs> but the thing i was thinking whilst i was listening to his space that was i really wish this guy wasn't on his face app i hate his voice he's really annoying and it just really i found it difficult to even focus on anything else but so i think yeah it has to be the right voice yeah i guess was... so but it's it's weird because when i first started using that i thought the guy's voice was really nice because it fe- it made me feel calm and it was very like chilled whereas obviously since you've said that I was sorry I've ruined like, it for you <laughs> you have a little bit yeah no it's funny because I now notice his voice more sorry so, My fault. ruined it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah but I wanted to talk about kind of you know being an introverted extrovert I guess is where I'd put myself because we were talking about situations at work where we are more than happy to be quite extroverted and talk a lot and kind of lead because for me obviously I, I, I do engagement shoots a lot and I have to really engage 
<laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> engage with the composant and really kind of chat and be, you know, be bubbly and kind of lead the session, I guess, because yeah, they sure. don't know what to expect. So <clears throat> they kind of need my guidance on that as well. We're also talking, I found this quite interesting, but when you go into that situation, so when you go out as the photographer to an engagement shoot, do you find that perhaps almost that you have this sort of persona that you can hide behind? And I don't mean that in a negative way, just in the sense that you are this person that they're sort of expecting to come and do this job. So it's not you, your personal self, you are the photographer. So you can go in and not not be yourself, but almost it gives you that freedom to take charge a little bit and be a bit more assertive than perhaps you would be in a normal social situation yeah I think that there might be some truth to it um yeah because I have I, I mean yeah it's, it's that idea of having a job to do and, yeah. and and having to perform a certain task yeah, yeah. I guess and knowing what you're there for so you kind of have to get on with it I guess yeah. but there are days where I feel like I don't necessarily feel up to being around humans yeah or that much definitely i think you're quite i think i don't know we like to go on holiday to pembrokeshire um yeah and... my idea of a good holiday is basically the place where there's the least amount of people <laughs> so if i can go somewhere where i don't have to see anybody on the beach all day that is an absolute dream whereas i even remember one time there's a small I almost don't even want to say the name in case people want to go. <laughs> There's a place called Aber Forest in uh, Pembrokeshire and it's a sort of little cove. You can't get to it by driving. You have to either sort of be staying at one of the cottages there and walk walk down the, the, the sort of cliff or you have to come over on the coastal path from one of the other beaches and you could go down there some days and it'd be completely empty. There'd be nobody there. And I remember one time sort of coming down and we had Rory with us and he had his little bucket in Spain and we're sort of heading down to Aber Forest to, to go and be on the beach and there were people there they had their towels out there was like a family there was... <laughs> and I was just thinking what, what who are these people like how dare they like, be on our beach and it's ridiculous but no like for me that that's always been a sort of safe space where we can go and reset and recharge our batteries and that's a massive sort of trait of, of introverts is to, to have that space that solitude almost to to reset and to recover so a sort of big trait for introverts as well is that <clears throat> you need a bit of time to recover after a social event and I don't mean you know it doesn't affect you in a serious way but actually just some time to gather your thoughts and after a social event it's quite nice to just go home and reset um, whereas extroverts actually find allegedly um, that they can sort of reset and stuff by meeting other people or interacting with other people that's a, that's a way to relax so <clears throat> yeah I definitely put myself on the side of being slightly more introverted I think but I would class myself as an ambivert I think because again it's dependent on the situation yeah no I definitely I think I'm the same but I grew up um close relatively close to a beach so in the summer it used to be absolutely packed so sounds horrible it sounds horrible to you, but it, that's all I knew. And I, so it, it never bothered me, really. I mean, I never considered it as a kid because you just don't think about those things, I guess. it's That's how it is. Yeah, no, so you just take it as it comes. But it's, yeah, it was quite funny to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> just always be a, yeah, 
not too keen on lots of people. Yeah, it's not even a shit. I guess it's just that the, the idea of relaxing is about having that bit of space. And I even remember when we went to Portugal, there was <clears throat> one beach in particular. We stayed in Lisbon and caught the train sort of further out. Um, and there was a beach went to it was really nice. We managed to find a bit of space. But when we initially got there, it was sort of like, you know, you were looking for a pinprick. Like, was there a space? Was there a tiny place where you could put your towel? And there's just people everywhere around you and sort of stuff happening. And that's fine. But if you, yeah, sounds really grumpy, but if you want to just sort of wind down and relax, then for me personally, that's not not my idea of relaxing because yeah. I'm too conscious of the sort of chaos around as opposed to just being having time to just be with your thoughts and just, and that's the beautiful thing about going to Pembrokeshire, you can just sort of go for that walk along the, the sort of seafront and just be completely alone, I guess, with your thoughts and just have that time to completely reset and and let go of stress yeah but you've mentioned solitude as one of the kind of things that introverts like to have but i i don't know you correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) i don't think you crave to be alone though um no it's not not necessarily about that but even in terms of sort of the creative process I guess so a lot of so obviously a lot of people like to you know like to bounce ideas off each other and that and I'm I'm that's massively important for me in in the sort of industry that I work in it's really important to to share ideas and to to be open and to be challenged and that's fantastic I really enjoy that aspect of what I do but sometimes if you want to come up with something new or you want to formulate an idea the best time for that I find is to actually just be by yourself for 20 minutes 15 minutes and just have that time to really focus on what it is that you your idea and to formulate it and then to go back to a group situation or go to back to an environment and sort of feed that back rather than sort of being in that environment to begin with so no it's not necessarily that I crave being alone but solitude in the sense of not necessarily being in a really sort of chaotic environment I find it easier to formulate thoughts and to to come up with ideas when you have that sort of space I guess yeah because I have found recently when we've been on a couple of holidays together where the holidays were quite full on we were doing a lot of stuff um one of them was a camper van holiday we were kind of on top of each other I I was literally in the roof so I was on top of everybody (laughs) I loved it I really had a good time but then we went on holiday with my sister um to well we traveled through Europe it was a very quick kind of holiday Um, just a few days driving and we were in and out of different hotels it was quite tiring at times in that sense yeah it was exhausting actually and I think just being with people all the time because this so the camper van holiday was just the week before that so that was going on two slash three weeks of being with people non-stop pretty much and not having any whereas obviously I'm used to working on my own most days and I'm sat here and I actually, I do enjoy being on my own and, and at home. Yeah. So it, I think it was getting to me, to be honest. I needed some time out. I think I've learned that. Yeah, definitely. That I needed some space away from everybody because it, it was just a little bit too much at times. It was a whistle stop tour though. We were sort of like, you know, all in the hotel, then out in the car, drive to this place, go and get food together, move to the next place. And it was just nonstop for 
that whole journey was quite intense. It was amazing, really had a great time, but at the same time... It wasn't a relaxing holiday, let's just say that. It came back feeling (laughs) a lot more tired and probably a bit more stressed than when we left, to be honest. Definitely. So, um, I've mentioned a book that I've been reading recently called Mindset. It's by Dr. Carol Dweck and Adam hasn't read it. He doesn't really know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's basically, well, it's called Mindset. It's about mindset and it talks about two different mindsets. So there's a fixed mindset in which you are very results driven and focusing on results as kind of the, you know, the be all and end all, I guess. Um, and it talks about different aspects of kind of life that a mindset can affect. So it talks about, you know, raising kids. It talks about sport mindset obviously that that's applicable to you so i think you should read the book anyway hint um and then then there's the growth mindset which talks about basically believing that people can develop their abilities um so it's it's all about that process of learning and want to learn more and finding new strategies if something's not working and you know the word strategy sounds a bit official but it's it's even for like kids if they're learning something new and they're putting all the effort in but actually not getting anywhere that's fine and the effort's obviously massively important that's kind of what the growth mindset is all about just kind of being willing to learn and putting the effort in but actually it's also about finding new ways of doing things so that you can achieve the results that you want uh but i just thought it was really interesting it's a really it's a really good book actually so I definitely recommend reading it. You want to say something? Yeah, no, definitely. I just think, obviously, in terms of what I do, so if you've not listened to the last podcast we did together, um, I'm a football coach, uh, manager, Notts County women's team, and everything you've just said is pretty much the conflict that is going on now in football, uh, probably a lot more so evidently and in the spotlight in the men's game but but also in the women's game and it is this um sort of fixed idea that results first and foremost have to happen and have to happen immediately and mm. it affects us massively on a day-to-day basis so again a lot a lot of people might not know what I'm talking about but a manager was sacked at West Brom the other day they were you know doing very very well in the championship they're in the playoffs performing well um but you know sort of run of run of not winning games and and the guy's gone and he's just had this season so not even a full season to 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 put a plan together and we we sort of deal with that on a weekly basis so we have a vision of where we want to go and how we want to get there but it is a process it's not something that you believe can happen overnight and it needs patience and it needs people to buy-in to what you want to do and it needs people to be on the same page and to be on board and to work together to to achieve stuff long term and that might mean that instantly you're not going to get the results that people want you to get immediately Mm. Um, and we've been really lucky I'll say this touching wood (laughs) so far that we've been given the time to to implement what we want to implement and it's starting to pay off now and and the results side of stuff is starting to come through Um, but it is a process definitely yeah it talked about um some people so when kids are really kind of skilled 
right from you know you know when they're young they then believe that they just have this talent that they have and they don't really necessarily have to work hard yeah um which i think obviously can come and bite you <laughs> later on as you grow yeah definitely so a couple of things on that from sort of my industry there's this cliche that's sort of repeated time and time again although not necessarily always followed and that it's that hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard and we see so many players in the game that are outrageously talented so as a raw natural ability they are phenomenal they have an incredible skill set whether that's a sort of innate natural ability or whether it's something that's sort of developed over time is another argument but then it gets to a stage where then the mind has to follow so you have to work at it you can't just rely on on that talent and that ability or that knack of being good at something and it's the same across the academy systems at football clubs and I was reading this really interesting article the other day from from a, a guy that worked at Liverpool's academy and he was saying that across the country talent will take kids in academies up to the age of 16 mm. they can get by on that regardless as long as they're talented and they have ability and they're you know they're really exciting people and they look like a really good talent that'll take them up to the age of 16 and then from 16 the real crunch time happens where you've got a group of players who are all really talented now actually and it's about the ones who are prepared to go the extra mile the ones who are prepared to have the correct attitude to turn up on time to do the extra work in the gym to have a real sort of positive attitude about their own development and be conscious that they can always learn and always develop rather than just sort of resting on the laurels and saying do you know what I'm a really good football player then that's all it is yeah. and it's the same same for me uh, as a coach you know you're always looking to learn anybody who thinks they know it all whether it's sort of me or you know Pep Guardiola or any anybody who's at the top level of the game and the contrast is massive but those guys will say the same thing that they're learning every day you know stuff evolves and you have to you have to challenge yourself you have to be challenged by the people around you and want to develop yourself personally you know read stuff absorb stuff take stuff on board because it's ever evolving and you have to stay on top of that and i think that that goes for probably every industry and every every everything that people work in yeah, any kind of walk of life, actually, I think. Just, you know, whether that's kind of personal stuff or work-related. Yeah. Um, but actually, since starting my coaching training that I'm doing at the moment, it's really kind of kick-started that want, like, my need to learn more stuff. Because I think, you know, you finish uni and then... I guess you... Well, in a way, you can stagnate a little bit yeah. in the sense that, you know, you just get a job. You might learn on the job and stuff, but I don't know. It's just kick-started that kind of want to learn new stuff and actually really dive deep into reading. And, and it's, yeah, it's been it's been quite nice. But anyway, I wanted to mention the conversation I had with Rory the other day when we were walking to school about... We were talking about athletes and their performance levels and I think because he's started playing ball hockey recently and he wants to get uh, more fit because we were talking obviously about his fitness levels and stuff and um, I said that even the top athletes need to, 
you know, work hard and, and they can still kind of smash their own um, PBs and stuff. And he said that when you get to the top of the mountain, um, you just dig under and raise the mountain so you can kind of climb higher. And I just thought it was just such a cool way of looking at it from a six-year-old. Yeah, that's pretty special. Um, just to, yeah, kind of want to kind of learn more and stuff. And I guess as parents, that's our job too. I find it really hard though because it's it's so easy to praise based on results. Yeah. And it's such a tricky line. So having read this book, I'm really conscious of how I talk to him. But at the same time... I'm constantly questioning, am I doing the right thing? Or am I, you know, should I be praising now? Should I... I think it's... How should I be wording it? Yeah, I think you can overthink it. I think as a sort of society and as a culture, there's a probably an argument now that we've shifted really far into just praising absolutely everything. So obviously as a coach, when we go into schools, you know, we're taught to say, oh, you know, really well done, when actually maybe it wasn't well done maybe mm. it was awful mm. but so but obviously on the one hand you need to encourage and you need to you know make it a positive environment and make people want to feel good about themselves but there is i think a point where the results thing does need to come into it into a sense where actually yeah well done but you can do better than this What's... you can push yourself to do better than this so you know but th- then again with a six-year-old you're not you know i would never you know i'd never be a sort of pushy parent or or sort of you know it's very much he's led his it's been completely self-led hasn't it so we've not forced him into it he's gone to ball hockey he's sort of got better at it he's started playing tournaments he's done really well in the last tournament and he's sort of that's all been self-led and and the sort of enjoyment he's got out of those tournaments and being successful from a results point of view has given him the drive to continue and to want to improve even more without any input from us really yeah i think the book talks about praising kids when actually yes they've put effort in but they the results are still not there and it talks about you know it's like i mentioned kind of those strategies and stuff allowing kids to learn to search for different ways of doing things so yeah, that they so can crucial. kind of get the res- the actual results that you you know you want so yeah it's effort, a process effort is effort is the most important but yeah but and, you, and you that's the other thing to... is that there's a focus as well sort of you know i know i keep going back to football but that's that's what i do and what i know but there's there's been certainly when i was a kid and even now you know i'll go on courses and i'll sit there and i'll listen to people and you're in despair sometimes how everything is so results driven at a young age I understand that a senior football it has to be results driven because if you don't win games you get the sack that's fine but actually you know it's proven we know now there's enough evidence out there to suggest that people learn best through making mistakes and through errors and when people make mistakes and they have to find a solution this is the key the crucial bit is that they have to find a solution for themselves when you find your own solution to a problem, you'll remember that solution and it has such a massive impact. Whereas if you are just hand-fed a solution all the time, the minute that person or that support network is taken away from you and you no longer have somebody feeding you solutions, it all falls apart. And we have coaches who stand on the touchline and dictate every pass to a seven-year-old child. They'll say, pass left, pass to Johnny, right now sit in here, drop in here, come away from the ball, do this, do that. And actually, the minute 
Dave's not on the touchline screaming at the kid to pass to the left or pass to the right. Suddenly, the child no longer knows what to do. And it's mm. so crucial for children to find their own solutions to problems. And you can do that in a load of different ways. You can do it through guided discovery. You can you know, le- lead kids down the path almost and they'll find the answer themselves. Because again, with coaching, we find that loads of times when we do stuff and when we stop and ask to stand still or you know what could we have done differently most kids will have the answer and if you give them the time to think about Mm. it rather than just saying it to them and say look what could you have done differently in that situation their thought process they'll always give you the right answer it's so interesting because actually all of what you've just said so obviously i'm training to become a coach but a very different coach to adam um in that it's more of a it's it's performance coaching but it's i suppose you would call it life coaching in the sense that um you know it, it does kind of focus on on your personal life or your business but anyway so the whole point of coaching is for it to be client led and for the client to work through their own thoughts and their own kind of thinking to get their own answers and to really kind of get answers that they that are right for them because there's you know it's all well and good having somebody tell tell you I think you should do this or I tell you what you could do (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and obviously as a as a coach in both meanings so as you as a, a coach and me as a coach in both our respective fields um it's so easy um, to tell somebody what to do but also sometimes it's the easy answer for the player or for the client perhaps to actually just look for right here's somebody in a position of sort of authority with air commas who can just tell me what to do and then that must be gospel and I'll do that and that's right but it's not necessarily going to be right for the individual yeah no definitely I wanted to kind of we're going to be wrapping up shortly but I wanted to mention something that's in the book again keep going on about the book but We've talked about this before quite often, actually, is can you learn to draw? Um, And you've always said that it's you have to have the talent and that it's very much something that you either have or you don't have. And that's kind of what the book talks about. I think with drawing, though, I think I'm not saying you can't learn to draw to a point. I think you can learn to draw to a point. And, but it's it feels, to me anyway, it feels quite mechanical. So you have to follow a set of guidelines in order to produce something, which is kind of linked to what we're talking about. So in order to draw a face, I need to draw this circle followed by the lines across the face to line up the eyes and the ears and those things. And if I followed all those things meticulously, I could perhaps draw a face. Well, so this is what the book's talking about. So I can't draw. It's got, <laughs> it's got self-portraits here, um, a few before and afters. You obviously can't see them. Um, But basically what it's saying is, so the author of um, a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain um, has a five-day course and through those five days and five days only, like, people get ridiculous results. They improve so much. But they say that actually it is, it's not kind of a magical ability um, and it's just about understanding the components of yeah. drawing. So, so I, I read this really interesting thing once. I can't remember whether it's the right or the left side of the brain or which it is. But one, people who can draw well, apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
don't draw the object. They draw the space. Mm, yeah, right? that's interesting. So if you draw a bottle, you are looking to draw the sort of space around the outside, if that makes sense, in the sense that the bottle forms because of the space around the edges, rather than focusing solely on the object that you're trying to draw. Yeah, so the, what the book is saying is it's not drawing scales, but seeing scales. So it's the ability to perceive edges, spaces, relationships, lights and shadows. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so, so it's the space it, yeah. as opposed to the object. So that's really interesting because, see, you can learn to draw. Yeah, and it's the same. Like I think I think that is people are predominantly right or left sided though, aren't they, as well? And mm-hmm. that, that changes the way you perceive your world. So you know clients will be the same that you work with in the same way that footballers are the same sometimes that when we talk to them you know they need to see a very specific thing maybe drawn out or with magnets on a board but some you can explain it to them and it's, it's that different way of learning and yeah all right i think this is it for this week's episode thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes so that other female creatives can enjoy this podcast too. I'll see you next week.